0: valley so i'm honored to be with you here today as we start in celebration celebration one of the obviously one of the biggest weeks of all of Christendom right we're starting holy week and you know i think for many of us when we think about this week specifically leading up to easter we understand that easter is a big sunday for us but when we think about the the days and the events that happened before we know that those events are equally as important, and as we read the story, and as we read God's Word, uh, we see some of those things come to life. You know, we we really think that it's so important that what we're going to do this year is we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, we're going to kind of go through the events of Holy Week in a three-week mini-series, and so today, uh, we're going to dig into, obviously, the triumphal entry, the start Palm Sunday. Uh, if you join us Friday for our Good Friday services, uh, we're going to talk about uh, The the leading up to the cross and the road to Golgotha. And then in week three, obviously, we're going to speak about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we hope that you would uh, think about joining us. I mean, you're here today. Maybe uh, our Good Friday services, specifically Easter, we would love for you to come and and to invite someone. You know, we believe Easter is an opportunity for us to be very invitational. And so we hope that you would have someone in mind that you would invite to come on Easter Sunday. The uh, Holy Week is represented in all four of the Gospels and so I want to encourage you uh, in this series we're going to kind of be jumping around in all of the Gospels as we read through the stories uh, but maybe uh, if you're doing this with a, a friend or a mentor or even a small group you can dig into each of those passages in all of the Gospels. And, and today like I said we're going to start with Palm Sunday and I want us to think about Jesus, You know, when we read about the life and the history of Jesus and his time on earth and and how he was an amazing teacher, right? He taught with authority and wisdom and power, and he did the miraculous, right? His life was quite amazing. And the Bible says that he was gaining popularity at the rate where people from near and far came to see him. Over two dozen times in the Bible, it says that throngs of people, I mean, that means a lot of people, uh, would come to meet this Jesus, to see what he was doing, to to, to hear the teaching of his power and, and his authority. And the reason why is because he was God. You see, uh, Palm Sunday was really no exception to this. The Bible says that as he was teaching, people were coming to see him. And so we get this idea of Jesus entering into Jerusalem with many, many people coming to see this Jesus. And so what we're going to do today really is we're going to look at uh, kind of three different groups of people. Uh, Three different groups or three different camps of people uh, that were there, not only on Palm Sunday, but also that were there, uh, you know, on Good Friday and even in the road to Emmaus. We're going to look at three different groups of people, and we're going to see how they interacted with this Jesus. We're going to see what they thought about this Jesus. And, you know, I want to pose the question as we go through the message today. How do we view Jesus? Jesus. How do you view Jesus? Is he your everything? Do you trust him completely? Do you love him with everything that you have? Is he your everything? Is he your savior and your king? And as we see these three different groups of people, would we see where do we land in our view of Jesus? So if you're taking notes uh, real quickly today, we're going to go through kind of these three different groups of people. The first that I want to look at today is, is uh, this, some that see Jesus as a threat and reject him no matter what the evidence says. Now have you ever believed in something uh, or thought something was right or maybe thought something was wrong without knowing the evidence? Right? Maybe you believed in something that was true regardless of what true or how true it really was. Or maybe you thought something was right because it felt right, but maybe it wasn't really right. I think we do this in a lot of things. And you know, for the religious leaders of that time, I believe they did the same thing. Listen to what it says here in John chapter 12 verses 9 and 11. It says, when all of the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to him and also to see Lazarus, the man that Jesus had raised from the dead. It says, then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too. You see, they had already been plotting on killing Jesus. And it says that it had gotten so bad that they were now plotting to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many, people, many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. Here's what's going on here. A few days before the triumphal entry, Jesus is entering into the Passover celebration. And, and he's, doing, he's, he's hanging out with a guy named Lazarus. Many of us know the story in, in Luke chapter 11, right, where Lazarus was raised from death to life. Jesus performed a miracle and raised Lazarus from the dead. And so now he's entering into, uh, preparing to enter into Jerusalem, and he's doing this celebration with Lazarus and some of his disciples. And so what had happened here is this miracle had gotten the attention of many different people, right? Throngs of people were coming to see him. And so this infuriated the religious leaders, If you go back and read the story, it said that when he performed this miracle, they were so upset that they wanted him dead. And so now, he's with Lazarus, and they get word that he's with them, and they're plotting to kill him as well. Now, just think for just a moment. And, And to me, when I read this, it's really, really crazy. If you had heard or even seen with your own eyes a miracle of this nature, what would it do for you? I mean, think about that for just a moment. If we had a burning in the bush kind of moment, wouldn't that change everything? Like if I saw a miracle where someone was raised from death to life, would that not change our faith or our belief? Am I the only one? Right? It would completely change everything. And so you would think that as Jesus performed this miracle and word got out, that the religious leaders would have been amazed by what had happened but the Bible says it only increased their anger. Uh, do you remember the, the story of the rich man and the beggar in Luke chapter 16? Right? This is a story that kind of, uh, kind of gives us a picture of heaven and hell. Right, And the story goes that uh, the, 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 the beggar who was a diseased man, uh, he dies. And after death, he goes and he's gone to a place of comfort. Right? And we, we know that the rich man, he goes into a place of torment literally hell and there's this picture of of him seeing uh, this poor man who is with Abraham and do you remember what he says he cries out and he says Abraham will you send the beggar over with just a dip of water on his finger to bring comfort he says Abraham would you raise to life and would you go tell my family my five brothers because what I'm experiencing right now I would never want them to experience this and do you, know, do you remember what it says in Luke chapter 16, verse 31? It says, but Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. You know, here's what I think Jesus is teaching with this story, regardless of of the evidence, regardless of what someone had been taught, regardless of the miraculous, someone being raised from death to life, when someone is set in their ways, it's nearly impossible to change their opinion, right? It's nearly impossible to change how they feel. And that is exactly what is going on with these religious leaders, with the religious elite, And you know, here's what's so ironic about this, this story that Jesus was telling about the rich man and the beggar in Luke chapter 16, he's telling this right before he is ready to go give his life to to go to the cross to die and to defeat death to raise from death to life and he's speaking this and he's telling this in kind of a foreshadowing of what's to happen knowing that people would deny him knowing that people would reject him knowing that people wouldn't believe in the miraculous and you see Neither scripture nor even the miraculous event could get someone to change the religious leaders and their mind. They wanted Jesus dead. They wanted him done. You know, it's, it's been said that a man with a conviction is a hard man to change. Right When someone believes in something, or, or when someone you know, has this conviction about something, and, and I think about the religious leaders who grew up very religious, very pious in everything that they did, and they, they had this picture of what was supposed to happen, and Jesus comes on scene, and, and it was messing up with their plan, but they were missing out on what they were really longing for. They were missing out on the King and the Messiah. You know... Sadly, I think that there are many people that are like these religious leaders. I think there's a lot of people who have their mind made up, they have their idea of of who Jesus is, and despite the evidence, despite all of the things, all of the miraculous, all of the, the biblical evidence, the historical evidence that we have, they still reject Jesus, And friends, my my hope for you is that that you don't fall into this camp. And and if you do, maybe you have questions, maybe you have doubts, maybe you have concerns. Would you see today that Jesus wants to pursue a relationship with you? And by faith, if you do, he could change your life, past, present, and future. Let's look at another group of, of people in the story. And these are some that see Jesus as Lord. They see him as King and Messiah of their life, and they obey him even when they don't have the full picture. You know, I love the beginning part of the, the triumphal entry story, Palm Sunday. I love how it starts off because it's a little bit mysterious. Right, It's a little bit, uh, it, it kind of highlights obedience. Now, any of you are in here parents, you have kids, anybody, a lot of us have kids, right? How would life be if our kids were obedient the very first time, right? That would be a, a miracle in itself, but how would that be, right? And, and I think about this when Jesus looks at us. How would it be if we were obedient every time? I mean, you're probably obedient the first time with Jesus, but I've failed in this many, many, many times, So Jesus, what he's doing, and he's moving on and he's teaching. He comes to a couple cities outside of Jerusalem before he's getting ready to enter into Jerusalem triumphantly. The Bible says that he stops at a place around the Mount of Olives. And here's what the story says in Luke chapter 19, verses 29 through 31. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt, just say, the Lord needs it. Now, again, I like to kind of put myself in the shoes of those in the story. And again, I probably would say that you're going to obey Jesus the first time. But I have some questions here, right? Right? And the questions that I have, uh, when, when Jesus asks me to do something, it, it might be, well, okay, Jesus, we've been walking for a long time here, we've been doing all this stuff, you really want us two to go over to that village, it seems kind of far away, are you sure you want me to do that? And then, you want me to go over there, and you want me to <clears throat> ask someone for a donkey, like what, what makes you think, first of all, that there's going to be any kind of donkey around there, right, and, and when I meet that donkey, is he going to look like this, right, like, Is he going to be the Shrek? Like, What's going to go on? What's going to happen, right? And I'm going to have all of these questions. And I think many of us, we do that. We question. We question what we believe. We question what Jesus asks us to do. You know, I I think of my... My oldest son, Ashton, when he was just a young boy, we used to have these conversations and, and he was, out of all of our kids, he's kind of the realist of the family, right? He was watching the news at a very young age. I'd, I'd come up, uh, I'd come out and he'd, be, he'd have the news channel on. It was really, really, really bizarre, but just a realist. And he would have those questions of why. You guys ever had that, that, those, you know, that conversation with your kids? Dad, why, why is the sun so far away? Well, I mean, God created it that way, son, and he put it up there to give light. Why? Well, because he's God and God does whatever he wants to do. Why? <laughs> right? You guys know what I'm talking about. It's the why and the why and the why. We have questions, but, but here's what I want us to see in this story. When Jesus asks his disciples to do something crazy, they did it. They, they didn't even have any questions. They, they immediately obeyed the first time. And even without the bigger picture in mind, they just did whatever Jesus had asked them to do. And, and here's what I think is so interesting about this. They believed in him and trusted him so much that even knowing that they didn't have the bigger picture, they trusted and believed that Jesus did. They believed that Jesus knew what he was doing, and so they obeyed, and they obeyed him the very first time. Now, I think this probably came out of relationship with Jesus, that he had proven himself over and over and over again. I think that he was wise, and he was honest, and he was trustworthy, and he, you know, did did the miraculous. So I think there's this close connection there, but I think that Jesus wants us to be the same way. You know, in the Gospel of, of, of John, when it's talking about this story in John chapter 12, it says that the disciples didn't fully understand what he was asking them to do. And here is what is so amazing about this story. Jesus wasn't just using them to learn obedience. He was using them to fulfill prophecy. Listen to what it says in, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout shout. In triumph, O people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. He was fulfilling what was said about him. And then we read in a little bit, five chapters later in verse 4, then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he has fought in times past. And on that day, listen, prophecy fulfilled, on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. The d- disciples didn't have the big- bigger picture, but they were obedient. The disciples believed and trusted that Jesus knew the bigger picture, and he was using them to fulfill prophecy, to, to help people understand that this was the coming king, the Messiah, the one that they had been waiting for in anticipation and longing for, and out of their obedience, he was going to use them. You know, friends, I, I think this is so powerful, and, and I think that as we look at every story, we can apply it to our lives, and, and here's what I would say. Sometimes Jesus will ask us to obey him even when it doesn't make sense. (laughs) Sometimes Jesus will ask us to do something, or he will allow something to happen so that he can draw us nearer to him, to be obedient, to trust him in everything that we can do. And I think in a room of this size, every single one of us, I would say, have experienced times where it doesn't make sense, right? You know what I'm talking about? God, why? (laughs) It's a loss of a loved one, or maybe it's the loss of a job, or maybe God's asking us to do something that just doesn't seem right. And We say, God, why? God, why would you allow me to do this? God, why would you, why would you ask me to go this way and not this way? God, why? Well, here, here's what I would say. I think God is wanting to draw us near to him, and in our obedience, he, he wants to show us the bigger picture. You know, one of my favorite verses is in Proverbs Chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all of our ways. And the Bible says he will guide our path. You see, that's where God wants us. But you would say, man, well, that's too hard and and that's too difficult because sometimes when he asks me to do something that I don't want to do, it's scary, it's fearful, it'll rock my world. But then, you know, I think in scripture when, when God says, listen, don't worry about any of those things. Don't be anxious. Trust me. Right? And when you do that, pray and seek my face. Do what, do what, communicate with me. You know, trust in me. And when you do all of those things, then, then when you are connected to me, you will experience my peace, which exceeds anything. that surpasses our human understanding. You know, it, friends, even though we don't have the picture, God does. And the Bible says that when we act in obedience, it's then when He can do what only He can do in our lives. It's trusting in Jesus regardless of the outcome, it's trusting in Jesus without having all the information. I think that's the definition of faith. Let's look at one last uh, people group, one last people group in the story, and it's those who have their own version of Jesus. They have this their own idea of, of what they want Jesus to be. You, you know, they have this, this thought, this thought of who Jesus is and what he should do in their life. And, and they what happens is, is when that Jesus doesn't meet their expectations or he doesn't kind of line up with their plans, they desert him and he fails. You know, as, as we move through the story, we get to this. This, what we celebrate today on Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry. And many of you know the story, but I want to read it again. We're going to read out of the the Gospel of Matthew. It says this in in chapter 21, verse 8 and 9. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. You see, they were paying homage to royalty. It says, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Again, this was another sign of royalty, uh, the, the Israel or, or you know, Jewish heritage. And so they were bringing large palm branches and, and, and they, were, they were singing, Hosanna. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Hosanna, praise God for the son of David. You see, God had promised that a king would come from the line of David. And here it was in their midst, blessings on the one who has come in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. You know, the people of Israel had long waited in anticipation for this moment right here. You see, all of prophecy was being fulfilled, and here Jesus was, and he was entering in with his triumphal entry, and everyone was saying, here he is, this is the moment, this is the Messiah that God Gave us so that we would be free from our oppressors, our oppressors. We will be free for the Roman Empire. This is who is going to save us. But you see, they had the wrong perspective because it wasn't just the political part of it. He was coming to rescue them from their sin. He was coming to defeat sin. They were missing the point. You know, I think what this highlights for us. Is this understanding when Jesus doesn't meet our expectation, we, we so easily flee from him. Listen, just a few chapters later, these same people who were praising him as their coming king and as their Messiah, they, they, they ended up turning against him because they, he didn't do what they wanted him to do. In, in fact, they turned the other way and they yelled, crucify him. In Matthew chapter 27, what should I do with this Jesus who is called Messiah? Crucify him. You see, Jesus didn't come in the way that they anticipated coming. him coming. And so what they said, well, if he's not going to be what we want him to be, then crucify him. Be done with him. So, so very quickly, we see this change, this shift. When Jesus doesn't meet someone's expectations, they flee from him. When he didn't come as a a Messiah who who came to bring freedom and and war against their oppressors. Instead, what he did is he came humbly on a cult. He came in humbly and he died for us to defeat sin, death, and the grave. You see, I I think when when we look at this story, I, I can see how People, you know, maybe who didn't know Jesus very well could reject him if, if they didn't, if Jesus didn't meet their expectations, right? There was probably this anticipation, this excitement. Hey, everyone's celebrating for this guy. This is the guy that's doing all of these miracles. Let's go out and see what's going on. And we see this massive procession. People are singing Hosanna, which in Greek means save now. Here's our Savior. And then all of a sudden, just a few days later, when, when he doesn't meet their expectations, they're saying, crucify him. I could see people who don't know him maybe doing that, but what about those who are close to him? Think about this: the disciples, right? We we know that even the disciples who were so close to him rejected Jesus. You know that, right? Judas, Judas himself betrayed Jesus for money. Peter, three times. Peter. Three times denied Jesus. Jesus predicted it. You're going to deny me. No, I would never do that. And he did. Even his disciples, the Bible said that as Jesus was being led away, it said that they too fleed and deserted him. And this was the one who performed many, many miracles in front of them. You see, sometimes I think we, when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations, we flee. We flee. And You know, my hope is this, is that when we look at this and, and we see the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we would realize the bigger picture and would trust that God knows exactly what he is doing. And even though it might not line up with what I want, Jesus will always give me what I need. Again, one of my favorite scriptures is in Isaiah chapter 55, 8 and 9, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine, for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You see, I don't think this is God is saying, hey, look, I'm up here, and you're, you're down there, good luck. No, what I think he is saying is that he wants us to trust that he is a God who is in complete control of Everything. He knows what we're going through. He knows our expectations. He knows how we feel. He knows our doubts and our fears and our worries. And he wants us to trust in him, in faith sometimes, to trust in him that he is in complete control of everything. Let's end with this today, You know, because I think, obviously, the, many people, all people fall in one of those camps, but one day... Friends, listen, one day everyone is going to see Jesus for who he really is. The Bible very clearly says that one day we will all see Jesus for who he is. He is the one who conquered sin, death, the grave, sin. And what he wants to do is he wants to be king of our hearts. He wants to be king of our life. You know, I think when we look at the entire story of of the triumphal entry we see things of contrast right highs and lows and we know that the highest of high really goes to the lowest of lows on Friday when he goes to the cross and then we see the pinnacle of Jesus's ministry when he defeats sin death and the grave but here's what I want us to see is that one day we will stand before Jesus And the Bible says very clearly that we're going to worship him and we're going to see the king that he really is. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, standing before Jesus. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Friends, if if you don't believe in the word of God, if you're having difficulty trusting in Jesus, prophecy fulfilled, would you see the consistency of scripture? Starting in Zechariah and many other areas of the Old Testament where it talks about Jesus, the Messiah, the coming king. And then we move into the triumphal entry and we see Jesus fulfilling that prophecy. And then we get a picture of heaven where we will one day be laying down our robes and our crowns and our palm branches at the feet of the one who is who he said he would be. And we will worship him for being God, the one who defeated sin, death, and the grave. This is a picture. The triumphal entry is a picture of past, present, and future. That one day we will get to meet the King. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who died for you and for me. The one who fixed the chasm. The Bible says that we have a chasm between us and God. And it's called sin. And unless we put our faith in the one who defeated sin on the cross, we will spend eternity apart from him. But we receive a free gift by faith. By faith, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we could just spend eternity in his presence forever, worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, when we look at the story from Sunday to Sunday, we could fall in any one of these groups. My hope is that we would fall in the middle group. It says, Jesus, you are Lord, and I want to put my faith in you. If you've never done that today, I would love to share with you just how easy it is to say yes, be my king. And may this story, may this story impact us from here, not only through next Sunday, but through the rest of our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for its accuracy. I thank you for its consistency. God, I thank you that we can look at it and you don't change. God, what you say will happen. God, you fulfill every single prophecy. And one day, God, we get to see that prophecy ultimately fulfilled when we get to spend, spend the eternity in your presence, Lord Jesus. God, there, there is no doubt that in this room we have people in every single one of these camps. God, for the skeptic in here, may you tug on their hearts. May you get their attention by the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you show them that there is nothing in this world that compares the relationship with you. God, for those of us who believe and have put our faith in you, may it impact everything that we do. May we be obedient. God, may we trust in you. May we move in the power of your Holy Spirit, not only to love you, but to love others. And God, for those of us who, who have unmet expectations, God, would you show us that your ways are so much better than we can even begin to fathom with our finite, or infinite, our finite minds, God. Lord Jesus, we, we love you, and may today... We rest in who you are, our King of kings and our Lord of lords. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.